Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The games are underway and DraftKings is bringing you to the podium. DraftKings free-to-play pools are available every day of the games in Tokyo and offering a free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes. Up to $50,000 up for grabs and the best part is that it's free-to-play. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use the promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes every day of the games in Tokyo. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. The 18th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is Carolina Basketball. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Michigan out of timeout. And Weber, front court, Carolina thought he'd travel with it. Weber, front court, Carolina with the foul. He takes a timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Now gets it away to Donald Williams, down the side to Stackhouse. Stackhouse streaking in on Park, reverse oh. is good, and he gets fouled by Park. Oh my goodness, what a dunk! Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams' front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. Hey, it's over! Carolina has won the national championship! Felton ready on his second attempt. That one is no good. They battle for it. Loose ball. Recovered for him and he scores! 72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Matthews off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. From HeelToughBlog.com, this is the Four Corners Podcast, featuring your host, Josh Marlowe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Today we are going to take a look back at the five best non-conference wins of the Roy Williams era. If you can remember, we've already done the top five wins over Duke during his 18 seasons in Chapel Hill. So today we're going to look at the top five from the non-conference season. we got some other Tar Heels new, uh, news to get to, Daron Sharp's NBA draft spot, um, and some other stuff. But before we start with today's pod thought of the day, we go to Isaiah Hicks, former Tar Heel and member of the 2017 National Championship team. And uh, he gave us some wisdom when he said, make a choice to be different. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. And uh, <laughs> last, last time, you know, we had to make sure you were a good person. You agree, you claim to be a good person. Now I'm challenging you today to be different. 
Um, it's been a different kind of off season for us. We were kind of talking before we got on here what about a seamless transition. That was that really was, good. Dude. We were talking before we got on here. Just uh, you know, we we've been doing this podcast for four seasons now, and uh, usually in the summertime it was like once a month, once every couple months. But we've had we've had like legitimate news now for almost two months straight. Um, and we sit here today, and we'll and we'll actually get this a little bit later. We're less than a hundred days away from the start of the season. This off season's Crazy. been fast paced. It's been packed. It's been a lot of fun, to say the least. It wasn't fun talking about a retirement of our beloved Roy Williams and a coaching change. But besides that, it's been as fun an offseason as we've had on the basketball side of things. And then, of course, on the football side of things, we've been getting ready for what's supposed to be one of the best seasons in Tar Heel football history as we're getting ready to get that that season underway. But as I mentioned, top five non-conference wins under Roy Williams. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to choose from because, as we've known during our time, Carolina plays just about anybody they can play before the ACC season. He was always a believer that, that playing a tough non-conference schedule got you ready for the usually the, the, the deepest and best league in college basketball. And so over the course of his 18 years, we played in some big-time games. We won a lot of them, lost, lost some as well. But I'll start first with my number five. We go all the way back to December 14th, 2013. Um, Carolina, Kentucky, two brand names on the same court. Carolina took down the Wildcats in the Smith Center, 82-277. That, of course, was the year that Carolina beat the top four teams in the preseason, top 25 in Louisville, Michigan State, Kentucky, and eventually Duke. Carolina, you know that game, ranked 18th in the country. Um, Kentucky was ranked 11th. And it was one of those games that I was looking back at the box score, and it wasn't pretty. Carolina shot 48% from the game while only shooting 29% from three. They got out-rebounded in that game by Kentucky, 44-32, to which usually under Roy Williams, if Carolina got out-rebounded, they usually lost. That didn't happen that day. Carolina was exceptional defensively, held Kentucky to 41% shooting, and forced 17 turnovers. Marcus Page... Of course, that was the year where he became second half page. 21 of his 23 points in that second half. The game was highlighted with a dunk over or with an alley-oop from Page to Bryce Johnson to kind of seal the deal. Carolina wided out the Smith Center. They gave everyone white T-shirts. One of the best non-conference environments for Carolina basketball during an up-and-down season that year for the Tar Heels. Yeah, that, that was one way to describe that season, man. That thing was crazy. I mean, th- just the non-conference season. Was nuts. Where you had all that success in the non-conference season, you also lost to UAB during that season. So it's and like, Belmont. That I was- mean, it, it made absolutely no sense. But uh, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's a good one. I do not have that on my list. It did not make my list. Uh, number five on my list is back in 2006. Got to go back to November 29th of that year. In the Smith Center, Carolina welcomes in the team that would go to the national championship that year but would fall short to Florida. Um, But Carolina welcomed them into the Smith Center, um, a game that Carolina probably, and again, I don't know because 
way too young back then to understand sports books. I still don't even really understand them that much to this day. Uh, but probably came in as as a team that was uh, expected to get beat in this one. They were definitely probably not the favorites. And, uh, I mean, look, Ohio State had some guys that played really well in this game. Ron Lewis was fantastic. He scored 30 points. Um, and, and That was Mike Conley, Greg Oden. Ohio State, no. Mike Conley was on that roster. No Greg Oden yet. No Greg Oden. That was the next Conley played 27 minutes in that game, had eight points. Uh, Another guy that you'll probably remember from that team, he didn't really go on to do much at the NBA level. Daquan Cook was on that roster. So was David Lighty as well. So they had some good players back then. Carolina welcomed them into the Smith Center, beat them 98-89. to You had uh, 21 points from Tyler Hansborough in that game, 14 rebounds, a fantastic performance from him. Uh, Brandon Wright was pretty good in that game as well, um, but those, those were the only two starters that scored in double digits in that game. It was really big performances off the bench from Wayne Ellington. Mm-hmm who played 28 minutes in that game at 19 points, knocked down three threes, and a at that time on the bench, Ty Lawson, who had 13 points in that game uh, and really helped boost Carolina. Actually had, had five assists as well in that game. Really helped boost Carolina. Bobby Frazier started over him? That game, I don't even know who they're starting. This... This may be they they may have gotten this wrong. Maybe the box score may be wrong because it says Alex Stevenson started that game. Unless he was a power forward. Maybe, what was, what was so going you had the starting five. The starting five is listed. <laughs> That's why I have a hard time believing this. Start, starting five is listed as Hansborough, of course, Brandon Wright, Deion Thompson, and Alex Stevenson, and Rayshon Terry. Now, I don't know. Maybe that was to send a message out of the gate. I don't really – I'm trying to think. Did they lose a game? I know they came into that game with one loss. So, did they lose a game prior to – see, no. The, the game before that, they beat Tennessee relatively handedly. Although, the game before that, Bobby Frazier did start that game. So, I believe that Bobby Frazier may have been the starter in this game. This may have been before Ty Lawson took over, but it does list him as coming off the bench Mm. in this game. Not really sure, but either way, young Ty Lawson, young Wayne Ellington stepped up alongside of Tyler Hansborough and took down at the time what it was at the time a team that was inside the top ten in the country and would eventually go on to make the uh, the 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 national final against. Florida. Of course, they would fall in that game, but still a a, a really good team that Carolina had to welcome into the Smith Center and ended up beating back in 2006. I think I remember why that starting lineup happened. If If I remember correctly, that's the year that we lost to Gonzaga in the Jimmy V or the NIT tip off. Carolina wore headbands. Roy Williams flipped, and maybe that was a result of them wearing headbands. Was he benched? He benched a bunch of them. Big win though, and uh, it's kind of funny. Our our trends with the teams in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We've always played a lot of teams consecutively. At the time we were playing Ohio State, we played them back to back years in that challenge. <laughs> One year in Chapel Hill, the next year we actually went up to Columbus and beat that team or played that team that had Mike Conley and of course Greg. Yeah, Oden. we didn't win that game. Um, I, I, 
I don't think so. I didn't. I, I, that one I would have definitely put on there if they had won that game. Um, nonetheless, big time win. Uh, like you know, wasn't you know too young to remember it, right. but uh, yeah, still a big win. Moving on to number four, and this one probably is going to catch your your attention by surprise, and maybe the people here listening. I've got go to November twenty fourth, two thousand sixteen. Maui Invitational Final, Carolina throttled Wisconsin 71-256. It was the third Maui Invitational title under Roy Williams. Joel Berry scored 22 points as four of five starters did score in double figures. We outscored the Badgers in the paint 36-16 and that rebounded them 38-226. Carolina entered that game, um, the number four team in the country. Wisconsin was ranked 16th. The reason why I really put that put this game on there you, you win the Maui and what's the thing with Matt with Carolina and Maui when they've won the Maui they've won the national championship and I think that was that when I've talked about this plenty of times on here and just in, in general conversation that was the first game that year that I looked at Carolina and thought well by God they can win a national championship now Roy Williams had a funny in the post game saying that um, the last, he couldn't remember them crowning a national champion the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. He always saw that happen the first Monday night in April, kind of just trying to dilute, you know. Classic Roy. Which, of course, it, the, the funny thing is Carolina followed this performance. They went to Indiana, got beat by the Hoosiers, who had just came off a loss to um, Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> but, look, was, was it a close game? No, Carolina actually, absolutely throttled the Badgers, but it was the first time I thought that year, well, good, they're, they're good enough to win a national championship, and then, of course, they went on to win the national championship. Joel Berry was sensational, kind of his coming out party. That was, you know, you're trying to replace Marcus Page, trying to replace Bryce uh, Bryce Johnson. Carolina did that in that game with Berry, um, and Kennedy Meeks had 15 points, 16 rebounds in that game as well, so he was kind of coming into that player that, you know, before then, Kennedy Meeks was always a, you know, you got what you got from him. If he gave you double digits, he gave you double digits. If he didn't, he didn't. His senior year is one of the best individual years we've seen in really sort of that year in Maui. Most most improvement that you've probably seen from a player um, for sure. That Where where he just turned it on that senior Kinda year. Kind of like Bryce so Johnson's junior to senior year jump as well. Right. Um, for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's one that's definitely comparable. Um, I don't think his probably gets his recognition is Bryce Johnson, but um, that was mainly because of the other guys that were around him. That's a good one. That's a good one. Not on my list. Yeah, <laughs> did not did not make my list. Uh, I actually go back to that 2013-14 year that you were talking about. I actually picked instead of that Kentucky game, I went with the one against their rival, which was in the. Um, Hall of Fame tip-off classic. Yeah, okay, yeah. That's the yeah. We, at the Mohegan Sun yeah. where Carolina's playing this year against Louisville. Carolina came into that game the 24th ranked team in the country. Now, you may say, well, why were they so low? Well, they had lost to Belmont. Yep. So they had lost that game. They came out in the next game. And most people probably don't remember. They really didn't look all that great against Richmond. They, they won by lost, 10. They should have lost the game. So then they come in against a team in Louisville that was one of the preseason favorites. Um, and pretty much Carolina was given no chance to win that game. Most people thought, all right, well, they made the final. Ah, you had a good run, guys. They come out, tied at halftime. They, they outscore Louisville. Uh, late in the game to end up winning by nine, 93 to 84. Um, you know, the significance of this game, I mean, first of all, 
the two point guards were simply phenomenal. I mean, Russ Smith had 36 in this game. Dude, remember uh, when Russ Smith was a dude in college ball? What a ball. baller, dude. Remember him and Peyton Siva back-to-back. What a The two guys that I thought, man, these are some scrappy players. They're going to be good at the NBA level. <laughs> Awful. Um, Marcus Page, though, in that game, 32 points. He was 9 of 12 overall from the field. He was 3 of 5 from deep and 11 of 11 at the foul line. He was phenomenal. Definitely the guy that everybody was talking about. Um, No other starter in that game scored in double digits, including James Michael McAdoo, who at the time was a big player for the Tar Heels. Three of 11 in that game. They did a really good job of slowing him down. I mean, this was a game that Nate Britt was a starter in. So this was another game where I feel like a message was trying to get sent here. And off the bench, you had a young Kennedy Meeks. Yeah. 24 minutes played. He had 13 points, 12 rebounds, and 7 assists from Kennedy Meeks (laughs) in this game. What a huge performance from him. Bryce Johnson was also fantastic in this game. And like I said, this was a game where almost nobody gave Carolina a chance. Also, another reason this game is up there, Desmond Hubert was two from two, two for two at the line in this game. Wow. <laughs> that, you got to put a, this one up there. But uh, this was one where, especially because it was so early in the season, before Carolina started stacking up a couple of really big out-of-conference wins, it felt like at that point in the season, once they lost to Belmont, you kind of said to yourself, Man, this 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 might not be a great season in Chapel Hill. This was one of those games that kind of swung you back in the right direction. Then, of course, you lose to UAB. So you're like, all right. Well, and and then there's another win that we'll talk about coming up here that I think swung things back. What a, I mean, just one of the wildest out of conference seasons for in any in Carolina history, where the the roller coaster of emotions were just unbelievable. That was. That was a fun year. It wasn't fun losing the games you lost. Like I remember watching the Belmont loss where JP Tokuto JP couldn't make a free throw. Um, the UAB loss and some of the and you started zero and three in the ACC season that uh, that year as well. So it's just it was just a fun year because you got to see Marcus Page really grow up before your eyes. It really carried Carolina night in night out. Yeah, I think I'm going to be honest with you. I think that's part of where you know my 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 bald spot that's developing. That season may have been where it first started, it going may- back and forth as much as we did. Oh. Yeah, uh, I don't sleep well after losses. I lost a lot of sleep that year of high school. That's why I failed a lot of tests. Sure. Um, moving on to number three, and I don't think this one's on your list as well. And you, you know. I, I, I'm not going to give you too much flack for it. Oh my! Um, December first, two thousand fifteen, Carolina eighty nine, Maryland eighty one in the Smith Center ACC Big Ten Challenge. First time we had played Maryland since they exited the ACC back during two thousand eleven. You got to remember when Maryland left, there was a lot of animosity between older Tar Heel fans and Maryland fans because we felt like we'd been betrayed by a founding member of the conference. So there was a lot of emotion going into that from a fan base standpoint. Then you add in the fact Maryland at the time, number two team in the country, Melo Tremble was on that squad. Uh, Carolina came in number ranked number nine. Um, they had lost previously earlier that year to Northern Iowa. Remember that team started the season without Marcus Page. Page made his season debut, 20 points, um, 7 of 12 from the field, 
made a couple, made a handful of three pointers. A lot like the win over Kentucky. That game was highlighted with an with an alley oop dunk to Bryce, um, to to Bryce Johnson. Carolina converted 22 Maryland turnovers into 21 points. We shot 53% from the field, including going nine of 13 from three. Carolina is always the Smith Center is known for having a big game atmosphere. And that was one of the best non-Duke game atmospheres I could ever remember. Yeah, that one was up there. That that was probably the toughest one to leave off my list. That that was the one that I think with, with the 06 game against Ohio State was probably the most debatable. Um, I, I feel like one of the main reasons was, I mean, Carolina came in ranked inside the top 10. But it's, I mean... Either way, you can kind of go back and forth. I mean, those two are, are, are pretty close together in my mind. I mean, yeah, for Marcus Page to come in and play as well as he did in, in what was his season debut at the time, that was just, I mean, fantastic. I think the most shocking thing about that team is, is like you think back on some of those Maryland teams and you think that team was ranked second in the country because they, I mean. I remember, Melo Trimble was a really good college player. They've added, I believe, Diamond Stone to that roster. Yeah, they is, were. They, those two were. Rashid Suleiman like, had finally transferred in from Duke. Remember, he had left Duke, transferred into Maryland, which was. I think he's still there, to be uh, honest, with um, him somewhere. Yeah, I mean that was that was a really good team. Um, and now, of course, they lost, and I believe in the round of thirty-two that year to Maryland. But that was one of Mark Turgeon's best squad he's had since he got to College Park. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's definitely that's definitely a big win. Um, for Carolina, I went with uh, I, I went number three. I went with the 2018 uh, win. Where was it? Yeah, yeah, it was 2018 win over Gonzaga. Mm. Um, number number four team in the country at the time. Uh, this was definitely a game that coming in, most people did not think. I mean, even though Carolina was was still ranked 12th in the country, uh, a lot of people after seeing their performance in the game against Michigan, thought, okay, Carolina's not gonna not gonna be able to hang with a team that this was at the time probably the best Gonzaga team. Yes. I think. I mean even I, I most people thought they were even better than the team that Carolina had faced the, the year prior. I remember in going into that game and we were we were on the podcast by the during during this it was first the first season when this game happened. I thought the same thing. Yeah. I thought that Gonzaga team was better than the team we'd beaten for a national championship and um was and uh, that, that team I believe made the Elite 8 that year and they they proved that they were, you know, national title worthy that year as well. Yeah, and I mean, look, you know, they had, I mean, remember, Rui Hachimura was there. He was going off, but when he came to Carolina, was playing great up until that point. They had Josh Perkins, Brendan Clark, Zach Norvell. I mean, this this roster was loaded, and Hachimura was the guy, I think, that most people thought, how is Carolina going to be able to take him away? He went 5 of 14 in that game. Uh, he, that, that was one of those games where Luke Bay stepped up and, and played about as well as he could on him, and really just overall. Luke May finished that game with 20 points, 16 rebounds, um, with 6 of 10 from the field, 7 of 7 from the line. Uh, you had Cam Johnson, 25 points in that game, uh, 6 uh, threes, 6 of 8 from beyond the arc. Um, and, I mean, man, that, that was just, yeah, that was a great, great game uh, for Carolina overall. And not to mention... Guy off the bench, 17 minutes in that game, 
probably one of his best career games at Carolina. Seventh Woods, 14 points on six and nine shoot. So, I mean, that was one of those games where everybody that you needed to play well played well. And that was a huge win at the time for that Carolina team to sort of generate what was, uh, you know, eventually. Because, I mean, look, Kobe White was all right in that game, but he wasn't great. That sort of got that team jump-started overall and back to believing that, hey, we still have a chance to be a really good basketball team. I've got that number two on my list. There you um, go. So that's a seamless transition right into that one for you. And, you know, I got on my notes, of course, rematch of the 2017 national title game. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's the big reason why the crowd was what it was, because I mentioned with the Maryland game how great that crowd was. Dude, that was a crazy crowd, that especially crowd, for that early in the year. That too. crowd in the Smith Center, I don't remember. I know it was a Saturday night. Don't remember what time the game was, probably 6 or 8 o'clock. That place was rocking. We actually hung out. I remember we hung out, watched that game because we have a lot. We had a live podcast following it. You mentioned Cam Johnson's twenty-five points. Luke May added twenty points and sixteen rebounds. I mentioned Carolina shot fifty-five percent from the game, out rebounded the Zags forty-two to twenty-one. One of the big reasons why I put this one on my list is when you when you, when if you're a Tar Heel fan trying to envision this transition from the Roy Williams era to Hubert Davis. The way Carolina played in that game is what you could kind of envision Carolina playing like under Hubert Davis. The points were at a premium. Of course, you scored 103, um, but the offense and the flow was just really good. Carolina shot 52% from the three-point line, 55% from the from the field. They turned the ball over 23 times in that game and won by double digits against a number four team in the country. Well, it helps when you – when you double them up on the glass, I mean, but I mean that I, that I, I think that may have been the most surprising part of that game as well was that I don't think anybody thought that they were going to be able to control the glass the way they did. I mean, we came in hearing about how Hachimura was going to be this great guy on the glass. They had a couple other big guys, and dude, Luke May just I took rem- over. I remember following that loss to Michigan. I wrote an article, and I believed it to be true that Carolina needed to change the lineup. Thought the lineup needed something. Roy Williams stayed the course. Everything worked out. And like you mentioned, that was the win that sparked that team that went on to win 16 regular season ACC games, the most yep. in the history of the program. They swept Duke in the regular season before they bowed out in the Sweet 16 to Auburn. All right, so number two on my list, you got to go all the way back to January 17th of 2004, which, by the way – I mean, that's unbelievably late for a non-conference game. But back then, that's that was how you scheduled. You still scheduled one non-conference game during the conference season, something I wish, especially us playing 20 ACC games as it is now, we'd get back to. That would be nice for sure. Uh, this one was probably not one that when Carolina – came into this game, they thought that they had much of a chance in. Remember that this was Roy Williams' first season back at Carolina. Um, they were still working on building towards what they would eventually become in 05 or, or uh, 04-05. Welcome in number one Connecticut. And, I mean, look, this is how you know this game was a long time ago. It took me a, it took me a while to even track down the box score for this game. Um, Carolina, I mean... Th- this was the first big 
I would say major upset win of the Roy Williams era was this game against then number one Connecticut. And this was not a game where everybody played well. Sean May was 3 of 14 from the field in this game. Now, he had 11 rebounds for you, but he did not play great by any stretch of the imagination. But you had big performances from Jawad Williams, who uh, had 18 points, 6 of 9 from the field, three three three-pointers in this game. Um, And the guy that unfortunately stepped up the most in this game Rashad McCants, 27 points for Carolina in this one. 10 of 16 from the field. Uh, and Carolina, I mean, this this by no stretch of the imagination uh, was a, a game that Carolina came in probably thinking they had a chance to win. And um, unfortunately, they don't have the stats. I, I looked for a little bit here. They do not have the stats for Connecticut anywhere from this game. Carolina only had 32 rebounds in this game, though. So I'm assuming that... They the, the margin on the glass was not all that great if Carolina did win the rebounding margin. So this was not your typical Roy Williams type game. Carolina gutted out an 86 to 83 win. And I think this might have been one of the first moments where people said to themselves, We've got we got Roy back. This is what's supposed to happen at Carolina. Things are going to move in the right direction here because we just beat the number one team in the country in the Smith Center. Yeah, even with bringing in at the time, and look, before Roy Williams came, if Roy Williams would never would have came to Carolina, he was a Hall of Fame head coach. He had a Hall of Fame career at Kansas. Mm-hmm. Even with the Hall of Fame head coach, you had to look for those signature games and moments. That was a signature moment, um, especially during that season. That team would go on to lose in the second round of the NCAA tournament, but that was what made it easy to buy in because Everyone just thinks that old Roy showed up and it was an easy transition. There was a lot of pushback to get those guys to buy in what he was wanting for them to do. And if you ever listen to Sean May, whenever he talks about it, it, it started. It was even with Sean May. He wasn't. He didn't buy in at first either. But it's easier to get guys to buy in and sacrifice and run the floor and box out when you beat a number one team on the in the country on your home court. That was, of course, a year. UConn would go on and and win the national championship. So that was also a good measuring point for Carolina to say, hey, look, we beat the eventual national champions on our home court. We'll wrap up with both of ours number one wins, which are exactly the same. Go all the way back December 4th, 2013 in East Lansing, Michigan. Carolina upset then number one Michigan State in rather impressive fashion, 79-265. Five players scored in double figures. Another big games from big game Meeks at the time, who scored 15 off the bench. UNC out-rebounded Michigan State 49-38. Held the Spartans to 36% shooting. That number one win came after that loss to UAB, which came after they had beaten then number three Louisville. So that up and down start of the season was was all in about a two-and-a-half to three-week span I remember listening. Yeah, within, within a five-game span, they had yeah. lost at home to Belmont. Mm-hmm. They had beaten number three Louisville in yep. the Hall of Fame Classic Final after struggling with Richmond. You then go home feeling good about yourself. You get beat by Gerard Haas and UAB, 
on your home floor, then go to then number one in a team that everybody thought was just going to absolutely annihilate you on their home floor, Michigan State, and beat them by double digits. It, it makes absolutely no sense. I remember, because that was a late game, was in school, couldn't stay up and watch it, radioing that second half and just just sitting there smiling as hearing Jones Angel just call – Kennedy Meeks is just brilliant game. And it was just one of those games that, like, I think that's one of the things that makes Carolina basketball special. Even when Carolina isn't national title good, which is very rare, they still have these types of games and those types of performances. Well, I, I mean, this was just a, a great game defensively. I mean, Carolina, th- this was one where a lot of people thought that there were there was just way too much offense for Carolina to slow down for Michigan State. I mean, you look, Gary Harris had 17 in that game, but he was only 5 of 15 from the floor. Keith Appling, who we remember was, I mean, their point guards are always hyped. Keith Appling was probably the most hyped point guard in the mid-2000s. I mean, Gary Harris is also a pretty hyped player coming in. He was a heck of a player as well. Both guys went 5 of 15 from the field on that night. Their best player was Adrian Payne in that game, which was their big man inside, 16 points. Carolina, you know, did even a, Pretty solid job against him. But then you add guys like Travis Trice off the bench. He was one of six in that game. Denzel Valentine, one of four in that game. Both those guys played over 20 minutes. So that was the thing. Coming in, you heard how they had all these different scoring options. If you stop one, they're going to have another one that's going to pick up the slack. Carolina shut all of them down because they did not play well offensively. Marcus Page was 4-14 in the yep. game. He did not have himself a great game. But as you mentioned, just like in that game against Louisville a couple of weeks prior, you had Kennedy Meek step up big. You had Bryce Johnson step up big off the bench. And then also, another guy that deserves a lot of credit for his performance in that game, J.P. Tokido, not mind-blowing with 12 points in the game, but he had 10 rebounds as well in that game. And... Uh, that was one of those games where he was just the spark plug that you needed him to be. He was never one of those players that was going to be a lights-out player that was just going to light it up from the field. It, that wasn't the way that he played. But that was one of those games where, because of the way that he played, because of the fact that he was hitting the glass as hard as he was, Carolina definitely turned it up a little bit. You saw the guys off the bench have great performances, and that was really the difference in that game, and a big reason why Carolina w- was, you know, able to somewhat right the ship that season once they got, you know, through that tough stretch early in ACC play. And and honestly, that was still one of those teams, excuse me, when they got into the NCAA tournament that you felt because of the way that they had played against some of those better teams early in the season and even once they got rolling in ACC play, you really thought to yourself, this team has a chance to make a run based on what we saw because of those wins earlier in the season. You know, when I was younger, I was always at about, you know, the what could have been. And that year, you you never got P.J. Hairston because of NCAA stuff. You got Leslie McDonald back. And I always thought, well, man, if we had P.J. Hairston, that team, that team can make the, the round of 32. That, that team could have made the Sweet 16 or went further. But on the flip side, if you have a P.J. Hairston and Leslie McDonald for the whole season – does Marcus Page develop into what Marcus Page becomes? Probably not. That's that. Those guys' absence forced him to grow up and become a better player. Do you get the performance that you got from Kennedy Meeks, a guy who would eventually anchor a national championship team? 
the the performances from Bryce Johnson, a guy who took you to a national title game. I don't know. So it was one of those years that, like, when you look back at it, that's why we always re- we love 2015, 16, and 2016, 17 because those years before that weren't they weren't fun because you were losing double digit games. You weren't making the second weekend of the tournament, but it made it all worth it with the team. But you got a glimpse of that with those performances. That's going to wrap up our top five wins of the non-conference era under Roy or, or, or under Roy Williams. Excuse me. We'll finish up with some other Tar Heel news and notes. Last time we talked to you guys, we were previewing the NBA draft. And we spent a long time about saying where we wanted Dayron Sharp to not go. And that was headlined by the Brooklyn Nets. And he gets drafted by the Brooklyn Nets. 29th overall selection. So we did get that first round. Uh, selection like he was promised at the uh, at the NBA Combine, um, and you know, gotta gotta just gotta say when we were previewing the NBA draft, I was really against him going to Brooklyn. I thought it was one of the worst cases for him. A lot's happened since they since the NBA draft, where they've pretty much announced he's that Brooklyn's going to move on from DeAndre Jordan. They've got some questions in that front court. It's a big reason why they drafted Dayron Sharp. So I've kind of come around to the idea that he's going to be most likely a bench player, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think this is a place where he can go and contribute as a rook. Yeah, I, I don't think that we realized what type of situation this team is in. One of the big reasons for Brooklyn heading into next year that there will be some questions about them. They don't have a bench. They yeah. got no one. Like this is like this is Warriors, late Warriors run type stuff here. Where if you have a starter or two go down, they're gonna be in a lot of trouble because I mean they they've got a ton of guys leaving. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I think initially when we looked at this, we said, well, they're going to be bringing in a bunch of these veteran players. Those guys will probably be getting minutes over him. The indication right now is that that's not going to happen. There is a reason why they drafted him and and why they were pretty excited that he was there for them yeah. to take. Um, so I think he's 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 definitely got a chance now. You know, us being Nick fans, we're not really overly thrilled about that, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I think this is one of those situations where we probably should have looked at it a little bit deeper and looked at some of the contracts that were on the roster before judging it. I mean, you still really don't know, but I mean, you're talking about. <sighs> They they have got they've got to have the most money wrapped up in three guys of any team in the league. Like with with Harden, I know the Lakers got three guys that are making forty million or more. It, it's yeah the, yeah the, they, that that's probably the only one. The that fourth highest paid player on the Lakers as of today, Luau Deng, <sighs> at five million. A guy who hasn't played in the league, I believe, didn't in over even two know years. Luau Deng was still in the league. Gonna be honest, he's not you. he's not on the roster, but they're still paying him. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my lord! Um, so That's yeah, crazy. Sharp dude. to Brooklyn. As of last checked, of course, Andrew Playtech. I thought that summer league <laughs> was going to get him drafted. It did not. Sterling Manley, who's going, who's you know pursuing an, a, a professional career, as the last time I had seen, has not signed on with a summer league roster as of yet. I do think that's the expectation that some summer league squad is going to give him a chance. If not. I think he has shown enough of some of these combines that I've seen footage of. He will be overseas somewhere playing professionally. Um, so that's a look at the pro heels. Moving on, some recruiting news. 
You know, we talked all during the summer about how big, it, how important Tyler Nichol is to Carolina's 2023 class. Carolina did make the the, the top five list for him. Didn't really announce a, a decision date. I do think if this goes Carolina's favorite, it's going to be sooner rather than later. They are the presumptive favorite for the elite wing prospect. We've talked all about how much Carolina needs one of those. So it's good to see Carolina's in the top five for him. Um, uh, one more th- one thing. You know, it's not popular to mention other podcasts, but I do listen to the Carolina Insider, which is hosted by Jones Adam and Adam Lucas. Both okay, that friends, one, that one, we're allowed to mention. Both friends of friends. the pod. Yes, there we go. They interviewed Brady Manick, who is, of course, transferring from Oklahoma, and modern day Larry Bird. Yep. Modern day Larry Bird. <laughs> this guy, according to him, from Jonas Serration, the strength and conditioning coach, his nickname on the team is Big Sexy. <laughs> You got any thoughts on that? Like, are we gonna be able to yell "big sexy" at him in the stands or at home on television? I, I, I mean, you're gonna yell that anyways. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, I, I get, hey, that qualifies. I think, I think that's a good enough nickname. Here's my thing: What was the last time that we actually had a legitimate nickname player on the team? Like outside of you know our 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 local friend here. Um, who will go? Who will go nameless? Who uh, called uh, Cam Johnson? Stamp Cam Johnson. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Because like Roy would always just call people by like their hometown tough, or something yeah, tough, like. Yeah, tough little nut. Yeah, for certain the, guys. Um, I mean, you. I mean, you got Puff, but he's kind of like that was a given nickname. Like he. Same thing with Leaky. Like that. Right. Was, like that was preferred name to be called. Very I, similar to like the football team with like Bug Howard. Like I, I do think there's going to come a point in the press com- in the press conference where Hubert Davis refers to somebody as their nickname when no one's going to know who that guy is. So then they'll have to elaborate on it. I do think that's something that you could see under. Oh, Hubert Big Davis. Sexy will definitely get a mention at some point during the season. That is phenomenal, by the way. Uh, also, I think just by looking at Brady. There's got to be a little bit of Bill Walton in him too, right? Like he's going to be a wild card yeah. when it comes to some of these interviews. Like I, I um, I, I got to admit, I'm excited for him uh, being with this team because I think just just from seeing him and the way that he sort of embraces the Larry, the modern day Larry Bird thing, he seems like a character man. Yeah. I think he's going to be a fun one. On um, this team, he man. also drives a Dodge Charger with lime green racing stripes on it. <laughs> yeah, that he named Larry before he got the this, whole Larry yeah. Bird nickname. This of the this hair. dude, this, this guy, I'm telling you, full on wild. Card. Yeah, this, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be a lot of fun. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. We are officially 100 days away, or now less than 100 days away from the start of the college so basketball season, the Hubert Davis era. And it's it's it really is mind blowing because usually college basketball offseason is it's one of the longest in sports. Well, the other thing is, I think that with the NBA schedule the way that it was this year, that helped to sort of. Because normally we would have that two month lull where we're just like, "There's no basketball." Oh my god, get me to football here! Like, yeah. So I, I think that's definitely helped. But I think you're right. I think the craziness of this off season has just set this into just. Uh, I mean, it, we 
couldn't even keep up almost with yeah. how quickly this this offseason's going. It's been a lot of fun. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Before we let you go, get you guys to the website over at HeelToughBlog.com where uh, not a lot of basketball news going up, but I do have a, an article about Dayron Sharp going to Brooklyn a little bit more in depth about the potential for him to have a, uh, a successful start to his NBA career there. It's been a little, we've been getting you ready for football season. All of the position previews will be up on or, or up on the website with the articles, the podcast where we, we preview every position as well. All that on the Facebook page. Recruiting News Carolina, their first commit in the 2023 class. Local North Carolina product, uh, Tad Hudson, who plays quarterback over at Huff High School. He committed to Carolina the other night. Get all that great content as we're getting ready for football season over at HeelToughBlog.com. Last week, I encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on every major podcasting platform, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. Give us a like. If you mean Anthony as the host, we want you guys to subscribe. That way you get every podcast right there in your podcast library. That's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Look, Anthony, for hosting with me today. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, to find the best basketball podcast.